Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget the bug spray as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. Uh, this is Mon- Oh, I'm sorry. Hi, Heather. We're going to just record. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <clears throat> I'm just long for the ride, I yep, guess. That's yeah, that's how it's going to go. Uh, this is Monsteropolis, a show about uh, anomalies, legends, and monsters. I'm one of your hosts. Mark's shaking his head like, yep, that's it. That's it. <laughs> you yeah. got it. Nailed it. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined, as always, by my pal, Mark Matsky. Hello. And this week we're joined by our pal, Heather Mosier. Hello. There you go. Um, So we've been wanting to have Heather on the show for a while, and this is our opportunity to do it. Heather, uh, first question out of the gate. uh, Have you seen Bigfoot down there in the Louisville area? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) Okay. I have not. Nope. Uh, It's unfortunate, but uh, no. Uh, okay, so the for for our audience, um, I, we don't have a prepared bio or anything. I mean, Heather probably does, but uh, I'll just introduce our audience to who Heather is. So Heather is actually a member of the STM crew. She's been toiling behind the scenes, going all the way back to Momo. If I'm, not, is that right, Heather? Momo. Yeah. Okay. Yep, Momo. Heather has been working since Momo. She. Uh, Initially, I called her my research assistant, uh, and at this point, she just got a credit on Bell Witch that just says research. <laughs> so Straight research. <laughs> so at this point, uh, if anything, I'm probably more the research assistant to Heather uh, on, on our movies, um, but she's been uh, a key part of everything we've done since Momo um, and has been a, a, a huge help. Uh, and honestly, her, her, like, uh, the, the work she does and poil, I almost said poiling, uh, poiling all these names together, poiling and poiling, poiling and, and (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't even say the word now. Uh, she's been poiling behind the scenes, (laughs) all these names. No, she's been, uh, just the, the sheer number of, um, name she throws at me i mean for for bell witch it was a friggin book like it had chapters um yeah so uh i can't say enough about how uh, awesome that's been and how much of a help she is so anyway heather uh also does a podcast called the caravan of lore is that right yeah the, the caravan library of lore yeah okay there it oh. is um, yeah, and she, I got brought onto that one. Yeah, um, how many episodes have you guys done? Uh, you know, you're asking the tough questions. I don't remember. I think we did six 
in the summer as kind of a teaser. And mm-hmm. then the first official episode will be next week, okay. uh, starting in October. Cool. And then go through the end of the year. Cool. So. Um, oh, and yeah. Heather's also in uh, the Mothman Legacy and Bell Witch, which I th- think makes her the first STM uh, like back to back film interviewee. Mm-hmm. I know Lauren was in um, Terror in the Skies and on the Trail of Bigfoot in the same year, but one was a miniseries and the other was a film. So Heather hopped in to, um, was thrown into both uh, Mothman Legacy <laughs> and and uh, Bell Witch. So. The clarification is the important part there, right? Yeah. Just throwing in. Throwing. <laughs> throwing. Cast into it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I want to talk to you about. Uh, I got to tell you one thing that cracks me up is I was watching, um, the trailer for the bell witch and you can clearly see at the start of that clip that you're in, in the trailer that you have just finished yelling at me about something. (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't put up with much. And, uh, um, and Zach, I think right before that too, Zach had just finished telling you we just spoofed you or something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys set me up. You straight set me up. Yeah. Um, asking me things. So I'm going by what I have read that are in the books, you know, the things that are freely available Yes. for research. And you asked me about uh, Drury Bell. And so I explained mm-hmm. what I have read out of all of the books. And then when I'm done, you and Zach both said that's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> and the funniest like, thing is when you watch the movie, that is pretty much how it plays out. It is. The only thing that's different from what you told me was going to happen is that Zach promised there would be like a slide that says she's wrong. Uh, that flashes across the screen. So you didn't have that part, but absolutely. That's what you did to me. Yeah. And uh, you're like, oh, no, I have his uh, last will and testament. And I can tell you that he wasn't alone. I'm like, wow, well, you know who would have appreciated that knowledge? Yeah. The researcher here. I know. But um, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I thought I guess I thought and we're we're speaking about this somewhat vaguely because it's in the film and it's kind of like a cool moment. Um, although I think maybe for most people, it it might come and go without much notice. But for people that are really into the legend, the legend of you know, what, what played out with the bell children, this little bit of information is so interesting. And I had assumed honestly that Tim would have told you this um, because it was one of the first things he told me. So like literally the first phone call we had, which granted went like three hours. He, he mentioned it to me. So, um, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. Um, okay. So let's talk, let's talk, uh, Mothman first. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about the bell, Witch. so, um, okay. So first of all, I think we also should mention that you are, are we allowed to mention that you're an, you're an adjunct professor? Is that allowed? (laughs) I mean, you just did. Okay. But yes, yes. Um, adjunct classics professor, Mm -hmm. Greek and Roman history and culture, um, at Kent state. (laughs) It sounded like you said freaking Roman. (laughs) No, Greek, Greek, no, I get and it. Roman. I, I get it. No, see, and this is why he gets yelled at. Yeah, I'm trying to be all serious. Uh, okay, so um, 
I, I just, I guess like walk us through. So this is what I, today we're going to do like two or three episodes and it's all going to be related to the Mothman. Um, but before we like start asking you questions or, or just chatting generally about the Mothman, I guess like what, what is it about that particular topic that appeals to you? If anything, cause I don't actually know if it does appeal to you. I, I did just toss you into our movie. So what, what about it appeals to you? Uh, well, pretty much that it is one of the cryptids from West Virginia, and West Virginia has a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you could throw me into anything related to West Virginia with cryptids, I'm all about that. Why? Um, wait, why does why does West Virginia appeal? Uh, it's yeah, so it pretty. Oh, it's so pretty. It's okay. beautiful. And, and um, my family, uh, several generations back, because I get into genealogy and all of that, uh, is from West Virginia, so it's like home. Mm-hmm. second home mm-hmm. yeah wait they're from mm-hmm. so so do you know how Not a, like two generations back okay my great grandmother was born in west virginia mm-hmm. um so. okay so one of the things in the movie that we get into is this connection between banshees and the lore um in in mm-hmm. appalachia that sort of like generated probably with the Scotch Irish and then, and then made its way over to, to Appalachia with the immigrants that came in. Um, can you talk about that particular thing? Maybe in a greater, you know, cause in the film it's really like mentioned briefly, but it's such an interesting part of all this. And it was like one of, I learned this connection be- between Banshees and Mothman from Susan Shepard. And, and it's not, right. it's not like immediately obvious, but if you, hear a sort of like vague description of what a banshee is it's man my stomach will not stop growling it's like non-stop it's been going for like five minutes what have you eaten today uh one granola bar that's it yeah well there you go um i had a frozen coffee from rise and grind yeah they're they're good good um oh man you gotta remind me to tell you about the weird passive aggressive battle now going on with the people that own the clock and and myself on social media are you serious yeah anyway um okay (laughs) it might have something to do with this show oh yeah uh um so anyway, uh, talk, yeah, talk about, talk about some of those, like the, the, let's start there. Let's start with the Banshee and the Mothman and, and just bring us up to speed on that stuff. Yeah. I think the connection that is most readily made is that a, a Banshee is like the spirit from Irish folklore, a female spirit. Her cries are heard before someone dies. Mm-hmm. She's like a, a harbinger. I think that's really where the, uh, the tie comes in because everybody feels that Mothman is a similar entity, but there's Banshees and there's, um, I think it's pronounced the Beni, which is the Scottish, uh, a Scottish spirit. It's the same. They appear. You can either with the Banshee, it's more you hear, not necessarily see, but, uh, there's all these entities that lament or forewarn of some sort of tragedy that's about to happen. But it, it, it works for, the area where Mothman originates in Point Pleasant because of, like you said, the ancestors that have come over. There's a, there's like a famous West Virginia Banshee story too, right? Yeah, I think, uh, I believe that 
in Susan's book, she talks about one in Parkersburg, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you frantically reaching for that book right it. now? I am not. I don't have it. Seth, if I were in a different room, you, <laughs> I would, but I don't have that with me. I've got, I've got about 10 books next to me right now, mm-hmm. but um, not that one. What is the physical <laughs> description, though, of, of a banshee when they can be seen? Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know exactly if I recall even seeing an actual physical description. I mean, if you look up Banshee online, they have her wild haired, pale, um, ghostly type figure. Mm-hmm. But I honestly, in the stuff that I read, it was more focused on that. It was a female screaming. Yeah. It's than more of the sound. The, what What is the, the what's the one, what's the one in West Virginia in Parkersburg? I don't know. You I can't really remember. Don't. No. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about though? And doesn't that story involve a a, a rider on horseback? Oh my goodness! I've told I've told this story on this show. Is what's driving me crazy, and I can't think of. I don't think it's like a cloaked figure on horseback. But there, the thing about it that stood out to me is the red eyes. So like, it's not a it's not a an across the board thing that's sort of recounted, but. But occasionally when people, when, when there, there's this lore about banshees, there are stories that involve this like red eyed uh, entity. I think the way Susan puts it is a Scottish, Irish, Scottish death fairy is how she says it in, in the Mothman legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So beyond the, beyond that, what, what other uh, creatures do we talk about? Or do you talk about or have you looked into that sort of ring similar to, to the Mothman? Um, well, if you get to the, like the sound, if you just focus on the sound, like the Banshees, mm-hmm. um, obviously sirens, anything like a siren, um, harpies, um, things like that. But there's a, uh, a hag of the mist, which was, or is from Welsh folklore. Ooh. And she'll actually call people by name. Um, if you see her, it's, uh, it's not a good thing. It means that you're about to die, but she's described as like leathery wings that she'll beat against doors and windows, uh, of those that are sick and about to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we also mentioned corpse birds, yeah. which are all, yeah, the screech owls that flap their wings against the windows of the sick, mm-hmm. um, screeching as they fly away as a portent of death. Uh, yeah, that was really interesting, actually, because the the mythology sort of related directly to owls. Like we talked about that, and there was a lot more. I mean, there's a ton, obviously. Like your interview uncut went for like two hours, um, and mm-hmm. I could have I could have run a lot more with the mythology because we talked about like the Garuda and and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, okay, real quick too, something I just thought of. Uh, I wanted to mention this to you. I was looking at. Uh, now that I'm talking about this, I'm blanking already, but there's, uh, something about West Virginia. Uh, okay. You know how you talked about how, wherever you have like a, uh, a convergence of like water, um, waterways. Okay. Well, did you know that West Virginia also has like, it's a, it's a convergence of three different mountain ranges. Did you know that? Uh, no, I guess not. I just lump it all into the Appalachian mountains, but I guess if you're talking about the, like the Alleghenies and what else, what are I, they? I don't That's know. I, I don't know. Now that I'm talking about it, I can't, it's, I'm blanking on this, but I just found this out like 
a couple of weeks ago because I want to mention it in on the trail of UFOs Dark Sky because mm. it's so like oh. it's so prevalent to what we're going to be doing right. with that and it it as Let soon as I write re- that down yeah yeah <laughs> we should probably at some point talk about that too like all the all the West Virginia research you're doing research yeah all the research <laughs> um she found Three so she, I've got that um, that that uh. West Virginia UFOs book. It's like laying on the floor in there by, yeah. by that Bob Teets guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she found a copy of it and it had, I think mine actually has the same thing, Heather. Um, yeah. She, there was a flyer inside of it for a West Virginia, like UFO newsletter. Ooh. She went yeah. and found all the copies of the really? newsletter. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, it was just, the, it was just the first six. I don't know how many they were, but the first year's worth, I found them and they, they should be here next week. Oh, nice. Actually, yeah, um, I'm excited. Okay, so uh, what is it uh, that got you into strange subjects? Oh, hold on, Mark. Did you have a question about relating back to uh, that? Well, just yeah, sort of. Sorry, in a like a broad spectrum. What do you think it is about West Virginia and Appalachian culture that produces these um, stories? Because I mean, it, we just in what we've talked about so far, you can see an overlap between a Mm-hmm. A harbinger of doom, and it flies. It might have red eyes or not. It might make sounds or not. But what is it about the culture that you think creates right. these stories? Um, you know, I think that um, a lot of it is one: the land itself, the region that we're living in, and where the, our ancestors would have come from. It's similar. I mean, that mountain range even though it's not a cohesive continent anymore, that mountain range expands up through the same areas where those immigrants came from. Um, and it's a, it's a hard lifestyle. It's a hard life to get the land to produce what you need to survive. It's dark. Um, the seasons are somewhat temperate at times, but they can get really extreme. And I just think that sometimes our beliefs are reflective upon what we live in our waking life. There was um, a class I took in my undergrad. It was an ancient history class. And I really enjoyed the way the professor set up each civilization. To help us better understand how those people lived, he talked about their religion. So if you go like, like to ancient Sumer, what little we know about them, it was hard. Their religion, their beliefs after um, passing away was hard. It was hard. It was drastic. There was nothing really to look forward to, but it's the same in their waking life where if you go down to Egypt, they had uh, periods of difficulty, but then when the Nile would flood and the ground gets green and everything's fertile, they have these things to look forward to. And you can kind of see that reflected in their mythology. And I wouldn't be surprised if a little bit of that carries over to our monsters, just a reflection of what we live. So even in the modern day, you think that would be the case? Like even present present day? I think that present day, what we're seeing with some of these monsters, maybe, maybe, is that, um, you know, a lot of this is passed down, for one. And um, if you see something that you don't quite understand or hear something that you don't understand, you start talking to people and they recount these stories and you start to look into it and you can find older descriptions that match what you experienced or thought you experienced or whatnot, that that adds some validity to it and then keeps it alive that way. 
because we were talking once about um, why there's such a, a drive to connect to Native American lore. Mm-hmm. And I think that at least for people that aren't Native American, part of that might be just because in this area, we know they were here before us. So if they have it in their stories and something odd happened to us, just by being able to track that down in their lore, that kind of makes it seem less outlandish to us. Mm-hmm. Well, they were here way before us and they experienced that. So maybe I'm not crazy. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Roundabout now, way of saying that, I guess. I remember that conversation. Cause my thing is like, I, I see, I see people trying to sort of like um, paint our modern, you know, paranormal phenomena onto mm-hmm. Native American beliefs and lore mm-hmm. that, that they might not actually belong there. Like, mm-hmm. like we're almost trying to, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? We're almost trying to like superimpose. Yeah. Superimpose, but also yeah. to sort of like give it some validity, like some mm-hmm. validation, right. like, Oh, look, yeah. this, you know, dog man's here because, yeah. You know, the Native Americans in this tribe talked about a coyote that walked on its hind legs or something like that. You know, like the Stonish yeah. giants are the thing that but always drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I already know I you're going to come back and and, yeah. and run no, me into the ground I'm, over this. All I'm saying, Seth, is that I feel like if you have an experience that is something you can't readily explain, mm-hmm. that as humans, we're going to look for a way to not feel insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if we can make that stretch, whether it's correct or not, and find that people have had something that we can associate as similar, or we want to believe is similar then that just pacifies us. Sure. But I think there's like a big difference between a witness trying to find validity and a, and a author or mm-hmm. researcher trying to ascribe things to a belief system they don't understand and have no comprehension of. And I see that's the thing I see happening yeah. very often. I wonder if this is the kind of thing where I like, um, like what Mark said, where you see these patterns throughout the different cultures and different belief systems that if you can't, like if you're not native American and you're not versed in whatever tribe that you want to choose their lore in particular, but you can see through all of these cultures that there are similar themes. Mm -hmm. I think that in itself is worth studying just as um, kind of a, a narration on human nature in general, Mm -hmm. because there has to be something about those elements that across cultures, across time has just always captured our imagination. Mm -hmm. Do you have like an example of like what you're like exactly like what you're referencing? what I'm referencing, everything. I'm referencing everything. Um, well, I mean, even when we're talking about Mothman, you talk about Banshees or similar, mm-hmm. these similar characters that maybe on the outward surface don't necessarily look the same. But um, when you dig into the stories, they are. Or something like the Will of the Wisps. There's Will of the Wisps and, you know, a million different names for them across multiple cultures. And maybe at first it doesn't sound quite the same because sometimes they don't have the same like we tend to think will the wisps are um, lights off the side of the road or whatever, leading travelers astray. But when you start to really dig into it, there are these other stories of these, these lights that show up. And for some reason, way back when part of the lore was that they were unbaptized children that were looking to be baptized before daybreak. And if you could baptize one more would show up and they would just bombard you until daybreak, mm-hmm. which is different. I mean, those are, 
two vastly different things, but on the, when you look into it, it's a similar thing. They're still distracting you from whatever your errand was that night. Mm-hmm. You're still not getting to your destination, but it's in a different guise, I guess, mm-hmm. somewhat. Yeah. And what was, what, you know, Ruth Ann music, her books, what that helped me to understand was in West Virginia, you had people from all sorts of diverse ethnic groups coming together and basically colliding or, or blending mm-hmm. in like the mining towns, for example. So you had like Italian, German, Polish, even African-American. And so mm-hmm. now comparing their stories or like saying, what did you see? Here's what I think it is. I mean, they would have had this immediate access to what their culture said these things were in a way that almost we yeah. don't. I mean, we don't have that. We, our right. diversity lies on online now and just finding what what Google kicks to the top of the page. But but they were living that, you know, when they weren't in the mine, when they were on the surface, they were talking about these sort of things in a really unique way. Yeah, because even when you're online and you're searching on Google, aside from that, like, you can really narrow your search to what you want. So mm-hmm. even if you want to... if you, Maybe you don't want to listen to a particular culture's interpretation, so you just don't click on that link. Yeah. Where if your coworkers are there and you're actually speaking to each other, you're going to hear it mm-hmm. and you're going to get to experience this. Do you think that that, I mean, because in a way we're, what you're talking about there is like loss of cultural heritage, like you're, you're, the heritage of a region is sort of, do you think we're losing that? This is getting a little... Out, out, of, out, of, <laughs> f- further away from from the topic I wanted to talk about, but I mean for real, like that's an interesting question to ask. If if areas like Appalachia over time, Appalachia is probably not the best example because I feel like they make a very concentrated effort there to keep a hold of the their their heritage, at least in West Virginia and North. I know North Carolina right. does too, but like other areas mm-hmm. of the country, I guess. Do you think they're we're losing that and what, it, how does that manifest itself? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, um, and one of the ways, um, on a surface level, one of the ways that we're seeing it is we're losing our accents in different areas. Hmm. Um, and that's something that you can see in Appalachia or Appalachia or, mm-hmm. you know, um, even where I grew up in Ohio, there are people that say wash and push mm-hmm. and that's how I was raised. But at a certain age, I was told, well, that makes you sound stupid. Hmm. So don't talk like that. And that was kind of pushed out. Um, so I've lost that. That, it, But, you know, unless we have that recorded or we have it written down in the way that it sounds, um, eventually that's, that's going to be gone hmm. because we're, as we come together, we start, we start to lose those things. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a bad thing to come together, but if we don't record it, same thing with these stories if we don't write them down or put them in video form or, or however, eventually they'll just disappear because we're not sitting around the fire sharing stories anymore. Um, we're not in the same kind of family units where grandparents are just sitting and talking with the grandkids because they all live within a mile of each other. You know, sometimes that still happens, but it's rare now. Um, I have a, do you, do you want to talk any more on no, that? Okay. Good. Cause I want to move subjects <laughs> here a little bit. Um, the wizard clip. Are you familiar with this story? What? The wizard. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> the wizard clip. It's a, uh, yeah, no, no, you're not. So. 
Okay, this is. We got I a, don't think so. We had an email about this months yeah. months ago. I had never heard of it until I, then. I'd never heard about it, but it is popular. I mean, to the point where I saw Les posted like a plaque or something. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a literal like highway sign like they have for the Bell Witch about the Wizard Clip in well. West Virginia, and it's like kind of a similar story to mm-hmm. to the Bell Witch, um, I, dis, dis, disembodied sounds, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, the clip actually refers to a sound, right? The, the, oh, I don't remember. I, <laughs> I started shaking my head. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's sort of a strained name in the same way that Bell Witches. I mean, it's not really a witch per se that's at the heart of the story, but uh, the wizard clip is just sort of a, a like Seth said, a, a sound manifestation that sort of grows over time, and you even have. Uh, local clergy getting involved and trying to sort of exercise the whatever's making the sound from a given home. So it it was just very right. interesting. But the uh, you know the word wizard got attached to it. I think for the same reason that witch got attached to what happened in Adams, which or, is or, trying to figure out what's the origin of this. Or the warlock, which is what they refer to. That is one of my regrets about the Bell Witch movies that we're not getting. We don't. We don't have the time to get into that Mississippi variation of the mm. Bell Witch story, which I'm right. sure you're aware of all that, right, Heather? I'm sure we talked mm-hmm. about that at yeah. some point. We need to talk about that on yeah. the show, actually. Before we get out of here, remind me to make sure we hit that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the wizard clip thing stood out to me the, the <laughs> a, a week ago or something. I was looking at something and I saw Les Odell had posted this thing about it, and it made me think of the fact that so so. John Bell, if I'm not mistaken, you you can correct me here. Either John Bell or his dad came over from Ireland, and I think it was John. I think it was John Senior that came over from from Ireland. Um, am I wrong? Do you know this, Heather? I chance? do not know. I mean, I know they moved in from North Carolina, Edgecombe County, but um, yeah, that's where they lived. But I that's where he was born. I'm like fairly certain that I had read he was born and raised in Ireland. Anyway, I started thinking about the 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 wizard clip because it comes from West Virginia. And I was like, I wonder if there's some sort of like, you know, if there's a story that might be sort of running, um, you know, like almost like the Mothman made its way over here in a way. You know, I'm not I'm not ascribing all Mothman accounts to like banshees and things like that. But I'm saying that, that maybe there's some sort of uh, origin point we could trace back to Ireland, you know, with a disembodied voice haunting a family or something. Cause the wizard clip is really similar to the bell, Witch. and then, <clears throat> okay. So we'll just talk about it now. So, um, but before we do that, I'm going to have you tell the bell, Witch story, like give, give an abbreviated rundown of what the bell, Witch story is as well. The bell, Witch story just, just, just the okay. legend, yeah. Just leave out anything about Drury. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I will. <laughs> um, so 1817, Robertson County, um, Tennessee, there was the Bell family started having really odd things happen. There was a, they saw a handful of odd things. One of them, which really amuses me, is the dog with a rabbit's head. Um, that John Bell Sr. saw out in the field, but there was also a large bird that was seen by the kids and, you know, a handful of other odd things. Then um, there were sounds that were coming outside of their cabin, scratches on the walls, knocking. They'd look, nobody would be there. Eventually those sounds move inside. 
the cabin and it sounds like rats gnawing on the bedpost or knocking on the walls, light the candles, everything stops. This continues to go on and eventually uh, physical harm begins to come to some members of the family, including Betsy Bell, uh, the daughter. Her hair would get pulled. She'd get slapped. Uh, They said one of the common things is the feeling of pins poking the skin. And it gets to a point where they're not able to sleep at night because this starts when it gets dark and it continues until three or four in the morning. Um, So they invite, uh, I think it was James Johnston, the closest neighbor, and his wife came over and they demand, well, they wanted them to be there to see if anything was happening, I guess, to see if this would happen with somebody else. And it certainly did. Then eventually they demand to know who's causing this because these sounds become whispers, but unintelligible. And eventually this spirit starts talking where you can hear it. Again, she's not seen really, but she's heard. And she comes up with actually all kinds of stories about who she is and why she's there, um, which she found rather amusing. And eventually she starts to physically as as well attack uh, John Bell, the father. And um, yeah, it becomes a thing where people come from all over supposedly to watch or hear rather her antics every night. And she performs and eventually there's a witch family that shows up as well. Uh, All of this kind of heightens and John Bell ends up dead by the end of it. Uh, (laughs) I guess to do it in short form, he ends up poisoned. Um, but she said she was going to kill him. She stated that was her intent. And then she celebrated his death and made sure she ruined Betsy's life as well, or at least the beginning of her life for the person that she wanted to be with. And then she disappears for a few years and she came back and hung out with John Jr. (laughs) Gave him a bunch of, uh, I guess, insight into what the future would hold and then said she was going to come back after that. But as far as I'm aware, there's no written record of her returning and giving any other forewarnings or whatnot. Uh, the yeah. one, one thing that stands out to me about Adams is the similarities between Adams and like the chestnut Ridge and skinwalker ranch where you've got a, an area that seems to invite high strangeness. Um, mm-hmm. Now I couldn't find, I was hoping I'd be able to really like boil that down and be like, Oh, there's like Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings here too. There aren't like, mm-hmm. at least not that I've really like been able to, to find, but just yeah. you're you're talking about a lot of like really weird activity in a in a mm-hmm. in a very small area. It's not, uh, you know, it's it's very uh, every everything's clustered around that Bell School Bell property. Like there's activity there and and a lot of it. Um, and skeptics are witnessing things too, which is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So the but what I really want to talk about is so you've got. Um, You've got Betsy Bell. She's like at the heart of the story. She, after yeah. her father's death, um, breaks off her engagement with with Joshua Gardner. Ends up marrying, is it Richard Powell? Richard. Rich, Richard Powell. Her Ma- marries, teacher. yeah, her school teacher. Um, they get married, and then they did they move to Mississippi, or she she doesn't move there till he she dies, moved, right? Yes, she moved after he died. Okay, so she moves, and then you've got this variation of the bell, Witch legend coming out of Mississippi. Can you kind of pick up from there and talk about that? <laughs> I mean, maybe a little bit about that. She, um, she moves down there and really, I'm not, I'm not sure 
how they explain everything um, and exactly where all the differences are. But there is a story about um, the, the uh, no, you're going to have to take it over because the, the, the male part of it, I feel like there's two very, two things that are different. The witch was supposedly the spirit of, yeah, a, a man, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, a warlock. But the spirit of um, someone that John Bell killed, correct? Was that not it? Uh, well, I I think that I think that's like a key part of that lore. But I mean, that's a key part of some variations of the Tennessee legend, which is something else sure. we, should, we should probably talk about. Is that there's at least three or four different variations of the legend in Tennessee itself. Um, we interviewed yeah. what, how many people did we interview while we were there? Like 10, 10 or 12 people, 10, 11 people, something like that while we were in Tennessee. And almost every one of them had some variation of the legend <laughs> that they had been told as a child or still believe to right. this day. Um, we interviewed a girl named Kay, uh, Kay Ethel from Texas. We just kind of like bumped into her. Uh, unfortunately she's not in the film, but like we interviewed her and her variation of the legend is the one where John bell and Kate bats were married or engaged to each other. And John ended up killing Kate bats. And that's who the bell witch is. And that's the variation of the story that the 1960s song, the, um, the first name is Merle is the only thing I remember, but it's like a, it was a, apparently like a fairly popular song during the sixties, like this pop country song mm-hmm. um, it, that retells the whole bell, Witch legend. And that's the version that that song tells. So I'm thinking that that that's probably responsible for that variation of the legend really getting passed around, but there's other versions. Right. There's this idea that he killed. Um, I, I know what you're talking about now. You're right. Yeah. The Mississippi version. So, yeah. You can it, talk about that. Cause I can't remember it. So this is the part that was really confusing for me when I was looking into the different uh, the different versions. Is one of the one of the things that they try to describe to why a spirit might be after John Bell Senior was that prior to them moving to North Carolina or from North Carolina, there was a story that he killed um, the farm overseer at the at his place in North Carolina because the overseer was in love with his daughter, but. Um, the time period of that, I feel like the oldest daughter was Esther, and I could be wrong because I don't have you're, all my stuff with me. But the, you're right. The I ages mean, don't line up. Yeah, because he's but, talking about Mary. Like, but I know what you're talking about. You're, you, he's talking about Mary Bell. Yeah, right, yeah. Who's Mary Bell? That doesn't exist. Like, I mean, yeah. right. I, and the thing is, like, so that Mary, I think it's Mary shows up there, and then in, in the other version in Mississippi, Mary Bell shows up again. Except Mary Bell is. Um, I think she would have been the granddaughter or great granddaughter of John Bell. And one of his descendants, whoever Mary's father was in the story, it's a similar situation. There's an overseer and he doesn't want the overseer, except this time she's not like a child, like a baby. She's older. Is that, um, so does the belt, does that variation take place at a later time frame then, than the original? Yeah, it, it would have been a, it was a later time frame. Um, because so, it doesn't have to be, are you saying that because it's a granddaughter? Uh, 
Yeah, because it was it was like a great granddaughter of John oh, Bell. And so See, he dies it. That, Go ahead. I was just going to say the story goes that because um, yeah, he died in eighteen twenty. Yeah, but uh, but he was seventy. The story, right? So he had so story, grandchildren. You would assume. Yes, but the story down there, I believe, is much later. I would have to look. See, if you go to YouTube and you look oh, up Pat oh Fitzhugh. Oh, boy. We're going, Calm down. We're, we're going <laughs> off the rails now. We're, I'm just, I'm just kidding. The Mississippi legend, mm-hmm. for, he has thing, and he talks about this. For their version, it's, I think it's a great-granddaughter, again, and I think that it's Mary, if I'm correct. You're correct. I just Her, looked at the book. Now, I've got his book. Okay. She, see, you have that right next to you. I, see, I'm, I'm not prepared. Anyway, um. She, he freaks out, kills the guy, and then she goes into this horrible illness um, where she just, she quits responding. She's heartbroken. Um, she starts to get ill, and right before she dies, she says something about, well, I'll be reunited with him. And um, then she dies young. And on the way to the cemetery, the story goes, there was this massive bird with, I feel like there might have been a bell on its neck, or maybe that's, maybe I'm mixing up two other, or another myth. But um, this bird follows the casket all the way to the cemetery, and then it's the when it's buried, then it's gone. But they attributed that to the witch as well, from what I understand. Mm. But that's not a story that I ever hear out of Tennessee. Yeah, that's specifically Mississippi. But that's where Betsy Betsy's buried down in. Mississippi. I was going to say it's it's apparently like a mile back in the woods, um, in mm-hmm. in in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's this little there's this little graveyard. And she's in there. Now, see, if you go to the research document that I sent you and you go to like chapter 20, no, I'm just, but one of the <laughs> hyperlinks that I sent you, I actually gave you the coordinates and I screenshotted where it was. It was all there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back to that document stuff. Yeah. No, I looked at it. I, I used the document. <laughs> otherwise there wouldn't be a movie, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Do you, do you questions? Yeah, I have a question actually, cause both of you know more about this story than I do. So I, so I know what I know, but it's very limited. And I guess part of it's an opinion question too. And it, and it basically comes down to this. How, how normal of a life do you think that the bells lived outside of the, the bell witch experience? Like, were they into other things that might invite something like this happening or were they fine upstanding citizens and this made it more peculiar that this was visiting their home because that's that's as heather as you are retelling the story it just hit me like how who were the bells really and and did they were they just these completely you know innocent bystanders almost or was there some way that this followed them home somehow well, the um, if you look at M. B. Ingram's book and uh, and when you get into Charles Bailey Bell's retellings as well, they, they tend to make it seem as if John Bell was an upstanding citizen, which we know from like church documents that isn't necessarily the case. He wasn't like super um, without fault, I guess. But they make it seem like that in the retellings. But I. I would think that they haven't done or they didn't do anything that was really odd or I feel like that would almost add to the story for them to say that things happened outside of this time period. And here's why, even if it were a tale of warning, maybe 
I don't know. I guess I, part of what brought that to mind are these sort of um, like lesser or later editions of John having mm-hmm. had some dark thing in his past, like killing somebody or covering that up or yeah, whatever. That part I can't quite make heads or tails of because it, I, it's in variations of the retelling. I think even Tim mentions it. So I don't know if Tim mm-hmm. is able to verify that that happened. The thing of it is, um, one thing with this that I find interesting is the idea that the bells were not, they don't seem to have been, at least John and Lucy, they, they couldn't have been the, the most like healthy couple. They're, the, the reason I say that is they're going to separate churches and John's having children with their slaves, which I realized that at the time was somewhat common, but still like, right. it's still pretty weird. And the, the fact that, so there's an interesting thing here where um, John's going to a Baptist church and the rest of the family's going to, um, I believe Tim said a Methodist church, but there, mm-hmm. there is evidence that there were, almost Pentecostal style revivals taking place on the bell property. So I guess it depends on what your, you know, what your beliefs are relating to, to like de- de- demonic possession and that kind of stuff. Um, but, but Tim seems to think that there's a chance that there was some, some uh, questionable like religious practices taking place that might've invited something to the property. As far as like killing people, you know, having murdered someone beforehand and all that. I don't know. I don't know that I believe yeah. that. And I also don't know what I think. There, There is this this theory that's kind of been bolstered by the um, an American Haunting movie. Um, and that is that um, Bet- Betsy was like molested by John. And so all the mm-hmm. all the the Bell Witch stuff was sort of uh, poltergeist manifested by Betsy mm-hmm. to, to protect herself or mm-hmm. something. Um which I don't, there's no evidence of that. So yeah. you're kind of just like pulling a, a, right. a story out of nowhere. And the fact of, of it is, and I hate to say this because, because I already know Heather's going to hate this, but we don't necessarily <laughs> have proof that any of this happened, that, that a single shred of this happened. Um, there mm-hmm. are, there's enough evidence to lead us to believe that it might have happened, but we don't know for solid fact that it did. So, and, and the only thing about, you know, the book, um, the books, Richard Bailey Bell's, um, Richard wrote, uh, our family troubles, right. And then uh, Charles so or Richard, which, not Richard, Richard I'm combining Richard Williams. Richard Williams wrote our family troubles, MV Ingram's it's part of our MV Ingram's book. And then Charles Bailey, Bailey Bell writes, um, this, what's that book called? The spirit, um, something spirit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The black book and the red book is the kind black of, book. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how they're known. <laughs> um, the the so the only reason I don't necessarily think either of those books would have gained anything by pointing out faults in the family is they're written by family members and blessed by or at least the blessing of the family is on MV Ingram publishing that book. I mean, if anything, right. Ingram's book becomes a little absurd in how it's like praising members of the family almost like to sainthood mm-hmm. um you're you're like there's no way these yeah. people were this great yeah so um i don't know the the thing the most that i find most interesting about all of this is the reality behind what what the legend is the stuff that tim has discovered you know like 
like the fact that John was having children with his slaves and the fact that Drury uh, did end up married and, and seems to have like freed. I mean, th- read his will. Like it's sitting in there. If you, it's really like, it's weirdly emotional to see that will. Um, I sent it to you, right, Heather? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. After, after you set me up. Yeah. After I got yeah. you. My gotcha, gotcha journalism <laughs> moment. Because uh, uh, the, the bit of evidence that I would be interested in finding if it exists is, you know, like the book says there's multiple eyewitnesses, right? And that it's one yeah. thing to say that there were multiple independent witnesses of this activity, but did they go on record anywhere else and say we were there and it happened? I asked everyone that question too. I asked Tim, Bo, all the people you would expect to have access to those papers and none of them have ever seen them. Mm. The, the only thing is there is there, there are, uh, there's a variation of the story that they sort of call the original that came around in the 1850s. So if this was invented, mm-hmm. it wasn't invented by MV Ingram. It was, it was already right. in existence. Um, at least some. It was. Yeah. Do you know more about that 1850s thing? No, well, I don't think off the top of my head, but what I was trying to recall is that in the 1880s, there was an article that ran yes. in one of the local papers about Springfield's ghost. Because mm-hmm. um, they were having similar that. things. That's part of your, yes, I did. your book, yes. It is. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, in 1880s, they, there was a poltergeist-like activity happening in Springfield, and they have a line in there which now it makes more sense when you say 1850, but at the bottom, cause I just pulled it up about 30 years ago, Robertson County had a sensation similar to this known as the bell, Witch, mm. and people came from all parts of the country, even as far as New York to hear or see her. So, I mean, that was in 1880 that predates Ingram. Mm. And they're talking about the fifties, um, which is when that story, I, I, be- right. I, I got to find that section of Tim's interview because it's actually on film, him talking about that. And and he's referencing, see, I can't remember if he's referencing a story from a newspaper or if he's talking about they were they were telling that story in the schools in the 1850s. Oh, um, yeah. I'm going to need to go back through and see which it is. Yeah, I want to know. Um, <laughs> all right, we're running, we're running long here. Um questions any final questions relating to the bellwitch before we start no, well tell me a little bit just real quick about um the school thing because that fascinates me that it was taught in the schools like is it local history it's, or it, it's still taught in the schools is it really it's local history but it's been taught in schools in in tennessee f- going back to the 1800s That's... as as far as i know mm-hmm. um <clears throat> which reminds me of something like the cornstalk cursed where, oh, sure. where we we might not just because they're teaching it in the school doesn't mean that it happened. Maybe well, it got, there's a play, isn't there? Yeah, is there a play spirit? Because mm-hmm. it's just re- it, in the in the film, it's just one brief reference to the yeah. play. <clears throat> it's a big thing there. But the crossover with that is that there's a cornstalk play. I mean, that's where the legend came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the link is the same. So you've got sort of this the way that schools used to be and transmit information was put it in the kids' mouths in these plays. I just think that's amazing. That yeah. That's all Appalachia too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about the play a little bit, Heather? 
Um, not too much. Uh, they have a festival every year. Uh, of course this year it was postponed, but, um, and, um, they have descendants that play in it. I, um, Bob Bell, as far as I know, has been in it and, um, yeah, they, they get local people to be, uh, be a part of it. But I think that the reason they called it spirit and then the person who created it, their name escapes me right now, but uh, the story is that the family preferred not so much to call her a witch, but mm-hmm. to call her a spirit. And so that's why they named the play that I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know anything about it. I was hoping to see it at some point, but that just hasn't, hasn't lined up yet. And I was the one that first told you about the green girl in the school, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was really hoping that story is also not going to make it into the movie. Uh, I, I could make a se- I could almost make a sequel to Bellwitch with the, with the cutting room floor material, like almost like it, it would be, it'd be fairly easy. Um, like a modern, <laughs> modern day Bellwitch stuff. Um, you should do it. Yeah. Do it. Um, okay. So, Oh, you know, one other thing I got to mention here and we got to, we, we had to actually, now that I'm doing this, we have to talk about this on the show. Um, in, was it 2017 you went to Adams or 2018? Yeah. 2017? It was, well, it was 2018 when I went. Yeah, 2018. Okay. So and then 2019 again. This is how long we've been talking about doing the movie though, right? 2018? All the way back? We started talking about it in 2017. Okay. Um, but I didn't get to Adams until 2018. Okay. So for STM, that's a very long time to be discussing doing a movie. Um, yeah. So we, we this has been on the drawing boards for a very long time. And in 2018... Heather actually went to Adams, um, not mm-hmm. for STM. Like at the time, I think you were just kind of going to do your own thing and find the Bell Witch. Yeah, to research uh, cursed objects. Mm-hmm. That's why I went down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about uh, the the dream you had uh, involving <laughs> the Bell Witch? <laughs> uh, sure. So this was before I went down to Adams, though. It was in the spring of 2018. Mm-hmm. I had a dream one night that um, there were I was with you and a handful of other people on the crew down in Adams, and we were filming for the movie, and we had to walk down this long drive because we were headed towards the cave. And um, when we get to near the cave, there was a cabin that we had to go in, and we were told that we had to wait because they only take so many people into the cave at once and one tour was already gone. And there were some COVID benches protocols. to sit on. Yeah, right. This is pre 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 prophetic so. dream. Uh, yeah. And um so there were some benches and uh we all sit down and I sat next to this person. It looked like a woman sitting on the bench, but she was kind of punched over and she had a hood over her head. It was dark and there was like just this scraggly uh, gray hair sticking out from her hood. And, um, we'd started talking about the bell, Witch, I guess, and she raised her head and then turned toward me and her eyes were like this, um, cloudy gray, like when you have cataracts really badly, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and her face was all had boils all over it. Her skin was bad, nasty teeth. Like she looked very disturbing and she just laughed. And I said, you know, who are you? And she said, you know who I am. And I said, you're Kate. And she said, yes. And she said, and I'm going to stick around with you guys for a while because it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, she did a few other things. Like she tried to bite me. 
Uh, Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a handful of things. I didn't get physically hurt in my dream or anything, but she was freaking me out. And, uh, but yeah, it was the point where she said, yeah, I'm Kate and I'm going to hang out with you guys for a while because it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but then I texted you about it as soon as I woke up and then you told Jason and freaked Jason out. Um, and, yeah. and I haven't so stopped talking was- about it for three years. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so. but the dreams didn't stop. You had, are, are you no, cool with yeah, me asking okay, you so about that hasn't, Okay. No, it's fine. So that was the first time that she showed up. Um, and she's never appeared like that before or like since then in any of the dreams. After that, um, the next time that she appeared in a dream, it would have been, which by the way, that was before I went to Adam's. Mm-hmm. And um, I met Kara, the one who does the cave tours mm-hmm. online after that, even before I went to Adam's, I told her about the dream and she freaked out because there is a lane. There is a cabin you have to wait in before you can go in the cave. There are benches. Uh, anyway. Uh, so that was fun. Um, then the next time that the witch shows up in my dreams though, I was in the woods and, um, on the hill in the distance, it was like the woods behind where I grew up. There was this figure that appeared and she was in a robe and you couldn't see why well, I say she just because I attribute it to the witch, but um, she was in a robe and she had these antlers on her head and like a deer skull. She started at a distance and then uh, it was almost like she blinked right in front of me. And I remember her hands, I couldn't see them, but I felt them. They were really cold on my face. And I'd asked her what she was doing there. And she said, you need to focus on the witch, the witch, the witch. And, um, she just hung out then anytime I'd have a dream where I was in that area, she was just there. Um, and if I try to talk to her, she would just always talk about the witch. So I just attributed that to her and I drew it up for you mm-hmm. so that you would see what I was meaning by it. And then but. I took your drawing and I turned it into our, one of our creature <laughs> costume <laughs> yeah. designs. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna let you go because I'm aware you have children that uh, need need their mama. Um, but we're uh, it's awesome to have you on. We're gonna have to do this again and and maybe dive further into some of the upcoming stuff we're gonna talk about, uh, or I guess make films about, not talk about. Um, but because I want to, I really want to do a deep dive into like West Virginia UFO lore and, and maybe some more like cultural heritage type stuff as well. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, Heather. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, we'll do yeah. we'll do this again very soon. All right, that sounds good. Okay, I'm shutting this off. Monsteropolis is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth. Thank you.